it's up to you and me to shine a guiding light and lead the way. United by our cause, we have the power to pursue what we believe. We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Hello and welcome to this episode of New Horizons. I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks for your company. Today we're going to speak to someone that we've had on this program quite a number of times, although in recent times not so much. Lauren Henley resigned from the staff of Blind Citizens Australia a bit over 12 months ago now, although she's still involved with Blind Citizens Australia, sitting on the Aged Care Reference Group. She's doing very interesting things in relation to aged care and uh, especially assistive technology for older people. Lauren, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much, Vaughan. Good to speak to you. It's been a while since uh, we spoke, and when we last spoke, you were working with Blind Citizens Australia. What have you been doing since? Yeah, I think it's been just over 12 months, actually. What I've been doing since, a few things. So not long after I left Blind Citizens, I got a job as policy officer at Council on the Ageing Victoria, which is the Victorian state arm of a national federation of organisations. We come under the broader umbrella of Council on the Ageing Australia, So in my role there, one of the main things I'm working on is coordinating what's called the Assistive Technology for Older People Alliance. And people might recall from some of my work at Blind Citizens Australia, one of my absolute passions is trying to get more equitable support for older people with disability who aren't eligible for the NDIS. And access to aids and equipment is a really big part of that. So that particular alliance is made up of a number of peak advocacy bodies and consumer representatives throughout the ageing and disability sectors and Blind Citizens Australia is also represented on there. And at the moment, we're looking at ramping things up to a really public front-facing national campaign. So people will definitely be hearing more about that over the next little while. Some of the other things I've been working on in that role, people are probably aware, as I know Blind Citizens Australia has been doing some work around this, there's currently a Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety underway. So I've been going out and running consultation sessions with older people to not only get feedback to inform Code of Victoria's work around that, but to build their capacity to actually tell their stories directly to the Royal Commission if they wish to do so. So that's a couple of the things I've been working on there. And In addition to that, I've uh, gone ahead and launched my own consultancy business and I'm doing training and development on issues relating to disability access and inclusion. I'm really keen to get an idea of um, the, the issues that affect older people, particularly with regard to assistive technology. Ooh, where to start? So I guess there's a lot of different bits and pieces that you can pull apart when you're talking about assistive technology. There's the assessment process itself, and certainly in the aged care system, when you're going through your assessment for an aged care package, assistive technology needs are not adequately assessed at that time, so often they just fall through the cracks completely. You've got issues of cost, so while uh, for under 65s in the NDIS, assistive technology is fully funded, that's not the case for over 65s. There's there's always a co-contribution that you have to pay and in many cases that's very very cost prohibitive for the individual to the point where they need to sacrifice the limited funds they have available to actually purchase the equipment they need or they fall through the cracks altogether which is really really um, unfortunate i think there's a lot of people who don't have the most basic level of support they need to get out their front door and in a country like australia i think we can do a whole lot better 
in terms of assistive technology, for it to be effective, it needs to be provided in a timely manner when the individual needs it. And especially when you're looking at people who might have a degenerative condition, if you are waiting 18 months to receive a piece of equipment, your needs could have changed quite significantly by that time when you actually receive that equipment. So at the moment, we know that the waiting list for a home care package, if you're trying to receive assistive technology under a home care package through the aged care system, the waiting list is 18 months to two years. So really not a good situation there. If you happen to go through one of the state-based aids and equipment programs, you're looking at 17 months minimum. So again, not much better. And there's a complete lack of clarity. So there are different mechanisms that exist at the state and Commonwealth level for the funding of aids and equipment, but it's really not clear to the individual where they're best to go. Will they get it more quickly if they go to the state-based scheme? Are they best to go to the aged care system? They just don't know what the best approach is. And Mm. neither state or Commonwealth government are coming to the table and communicating that to people. Can you make both approaches or is, uh, is it one or the other? It can be dependent on the state. So I know that in New South Wales, for example, I think when I was still working for Blind Citizens Australia, I was assisting an individual in their assessment for a home care package. And they were told, well, as soon as you are on the waiting list for a home care package, you lose your ability to apply for equipment under the state-based program. So that was their stance. I know in Victoria, it's a bit different. So it really isn't nationally consistent. And with the Assistive Technology for Older People Alliance that I'm working on, that's what we're advocating for is a nationally consistent program that funds assistive technology, not just for older people with disability, but for anyone who, for whatever reason, is not eligible for the NDIS. Assistive technology for a person with a disability is something that is so important, you know, especially um, for blind and vision impaired people, I think it's fairly obvious and most of us are aware that screen readers exist and things like that. But for people with physical needs, um, and it's it's quite conceivable, is it not, that uh, people who are older could have physical needs as well as um, be blind or vision impaired? Absolutely. There's a very strong correlation between ageing and disability because obviously your vision and hearing can deteriorate as you age, also your physical health can deteriorate as you age. So there really is a far greater need for the funding of assistive technology for people who are over 65. And I think that's part of the reason why the government made this decision not to include people who are over 65 in the NDIS, because the rate of disability for people in that age group is far higher and they thought it would blow out the cost, but it's no excuse to Mm. fail to meet the needs of those people. People at the end of the day don't really care where the support comes from. They don't care where the funding comes from as long as they get that most basic support they need to be able to live independently and get out their front door and do what they need to and want to do. And of course, the obvious point is that just because somebody is on the NDIS doesn't mean that they're automatically going to get the assistive technology that they need um, or the assistive technology that really best fits their needs. Absolutely. And we recognise that things aren't perfect for NDIS participants either. We can be doing a lot better in terms of supporting people to get the assistive technology they need in that area. But I guess the framework is already there. So there is a mechanism for you to be able to access funding for aids and equipment. It's just a matter of making sure that the assessment is done the way it's meant to be done and um, that you actually, I guess, make the best use of the resources that are there. But with the aged care system or anyone who falls outside of the NDIS for whatever reason, 
there's no framework for that funding. You just don't mm. have access to the same opportunities. And frequently older people are not uh, not well equipped to advocate for themselves either, would you say? Yeah, I think that's definitely right. And the other thing I'd say to that is if it is that people are having to go through the aged care systems to try and access funding for aids and equipment, it is an incredibly complex system. I work in policy and even I find it confusing. So for your everyday person who... and I think the other thing here is for people who are first entering the aged care system, that is a really big trigger point for a lot of people because for the first time in their lives, they're having to admit to themselves that I can't do these things independently anymore and I actually need a bit of help. So that is a really big step for a lot of people and they're dealing with a system that is so difficult and complex to navigate that they often feel quite powerless. Mm. And all of this comes back to the, uh, you know, the, the Convention on the Rights of People with a Disability. Uh, you know quite a bit about that and you're overseas to talk about some uh, recent developments in that area. I know a little bit about it. So the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities is a very important document that's it's been developed at the international level through the United Nations and it's Implementation is monitored by a committee of independent experts called the Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So that's an international committee and they meet in Geneva predominantly. So all the governments who have signed and ratified the convention, Australia being one of them, they're required to report to that committee every four years to outline the steps that they're taking to implement the rights that are set out under the convention itself. And that reporting process is made up of two separate reports. There's the Australian government report itself. And then sitting alongside that is what's called the shadow report. And the shadow report is developed by um, organisations of and for people with disability. And it's really to provide the committee with a balanced view because naturally the Australian government will turn around and say, well, we're doing all of these wonderful things. Aren't we amazing? We're really doing well in terms of implementing the convention. But of course, it's people with disability who know best what's happening on the ground for people with disability in Australia. So the shadow report is a way of saying, well, actually, this is the situation for people with disability now, and these are the things that still need to happen for people's rights to be properly realised. So I'm going to be going to Geneva in September as part of the Shadow Report delegation, and we'll be meeting with the Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities to hands down that Shadow Report and have conversations with the committee around what we feel still needs to happen to implement the rights of people with disability in Australia. The Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities itself, it consists of a series of articles. And some of those articles relate to how the convention is actually enshrined in law and implemented in a more practical level, uh, at a more practical level rather. And many of the articles relate to different areas of public life. So it'll be things like employment, education, those sorts of things. So the Shadow Report goes through each individual article and then lists what's happening to actually advance the rights of people with disability in those areas and then outlines recommendations around what still needs to happen to make sure people's rights are properly upheld. There have been a lot of moves and uh, advocating for, for disability rights and there has been the NDIS and, uh, and all of these things. How do we sit, do you think, in relation uh, to where we need to be to actually consider ourselves in a good position for people with a disability? Yeah, look, there's a lot of issues and a lot of really extreme human rights violations that I think many of us probably aren't aware of. Things like forced sterilisation of women and girls with disability, 
things like seclusion and restraint mm. of people with disability, a lot of issues around uh, young people with disability, particularly Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people in youth justice systems. Um, really, really alarming human rights abuses in those sorts of areas. So there's a lot of things that need to be done there. I think also the backbone of all of this is any country that signed and ratified the convention is meant to have taken steps to incorporate the convention into domestic law. Now, we have our Disability Discrimination Act, but it's really a toothless tiger. And I think BCA would probably agree with that. You, it relies on someone actually making a complaint in order to get anywhere. And even then there's no guarantee that the issue will be resolved. So while we have anti-discrimination legislation, we still don't have an, a situation where the convention itself has been enshrined in domestic law. There's also the national disability strategy. So that's the focal point for the implementation of the convention in Australia. And it's meant to set out what each government within Australia will do to implement each article of the convention. But it's a very high level aspirational document, which has some nice fluffy things in it, but no real KPIs or strategy around how things will be implemented, who will be accountable, uh, the time frame in which these things are expected to have occurred by. So we need to review that and that is being reviewed at the moment because the current one will expire in 2020 and we hope the next version will have some more tangible outcomes within it but also funding allocated to it because it's fine to have a strategy in place but it's just sitting there at the moment over to the side and there's no funding to actually implement it. So does the shadow report get made public? It was released yesterday so it is available um, on the Australian Federation of Disability Organisations website and I think People with Disability Australia's website. So even if you just do a Google search for 2019 Civil Society Shadow Report Disability, I'd say that will bring it up for you. Lauren, thanks once again for joining us. Thanks so much, Vaughn. It's always a pleasure. Lauren Henley there. And I do encourage you to read that report. It really is most interesting. That's it for this week's program. If you'd like to get in touch with Blind Citizens Australia, call 1-800-033-660. Or you can email bca at bca.org.au. bca at bca.org.au. I'm Vaughan Benison. I'll talk to you again next week. We'll achieve the realisation of a dream. Of our dreams